0: Hey, everybody, Tyler Smith here. So a little bit of explanation. This episode was actually recorded several weeks ago uh, before we had any sponsors, and so we weren't able to incorporate that into the episode itself. So we're going to uh, read them here uh, before the uh, theme music, and I would ask uh, instead of skipping ahead, please listen to it. Uh, These people were nice enough to uh, pay us to do this, so if you could uh, just listen for the next minute, that would be great. So here we go. This episode was brought to you by, get ready, here we go, I Was a Teenage Were Skunk, a comic homage to the drive-in monster movies of the 1950s. Curtis is a mild-mannered teenager wanting nothing more than to do well in school and share a malt with his best girl, but one night while peeping on his neighbor, he is sprayed by an enchanted skunk. Now, whenever F- uh, Curtis feels aroused, he transforms into a murderous were skunk. Can Curtis avoid the temptations of the flesh long enough to find a cure? Or will the local sheriff hunt him down and shoot him like the animal he is? To find out, you can contribute to the Kickstarter for I Was a Teenage Were-Skunk. This is a fairly low-budget film, so anything you can contribute will help. To find out more, just go to TeenageWareSkunk.com or click on the ad at All right, next up, this episode was also brought to you by Aperture, the, the company committed to providing quality movie-making equipment at an affordable price. Right now, they're holding the Aperture at all costs video contest. They're giving away thousands of dollars in lights, microphones, and monitors to the artists that can best show why they are pursuing art at all costs. For more information, just go to aperture.com, That's A-P-U-T-U-R-E dot com. Or click on the banner at com. And lastly, it's Killapalooza time. Over at the Double Feature Podcast, this week they discuss the Howling film series. You didn't know it, but these ridiculous movies are based on a series of three Howling novels. Australia buys the Howling franchise, leading to the creation of the most insane movie you've never heard of. And, of course, Werewolf Line Dancing. All of this is discussed in this episode. To listen to it and other episodes, just go to DoubleFeatureShow.com or by clicking on the banner at BattleshipPretension.com. All right. Those are all of the sponsors. Go and uh, support them. uh, See what they're all about. And uh, here comes the episode. Enjoy. and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing?
1: Uh unstuck in time. That's how I am. Okay. Because normally we record record the episodes in the order that the listener hears them. Mm-hmm. We're recording this one way early. Yes, yes,
0: um, to accommodate the schedule of our uh, very, Prima need, very needy guest. <laughs>
2: Guys, I'm right here. <laughs> oh, jeez, I'm
0: sorry. I get um, so locked into David's eyes.
1: <laughs> yes, but uh, that's how I. That's how I'm doing, and I don't want to waste. Uh, we can't. We can't bullshit about anything at the top anyway, because it would all be expired yeah. uh, by the time
0: the episode goes up. Yeah, so your probably, mood could be completely different in a few weeks.
1: Exactly. We should probably just get. Uh, I will put a pin in why this is our guest this week until we get to that point but let's go ahead and introduce our introduce our guest from la weekly it's amy nicholson
2: hi everybody how are you (laughs) i'm great well i guess in the future i'll be saying i'm very busy at the toronto film festival this week that this is out so thank you for getting ready to
1: go to fantastic fest
2: yeah so thanks for a winding time and letting me do this now
1: (laughs) (laughs) well uh it's all uh, at at the time of this recording only one episode of Stars Outlander has aired. I was just talking about Outlander literally seconds before we hit record, and so I'm in. And a now time, you're talking about it again. Yeah, I'm in a time travel frame of mind. Is Outlander about time travel? Yes. All right. It's a romance, fantasy, time travel period piece
2: of those four genres. Which is your favorite?
1: Uh, in general, or which is best represented on the show?
2: Let's do the show
1: on the show. I think it works best. As, excuse me, as uh, a romance. It's oh. essentially. It's like every other uh, romance novel in that it's about a love triangle. But the difference is that one of her loves lives in 1945 and the other one lives in 1745. Whoa. So it's like The Lake House. Uh, It's
0: very much like The Lake House. Okay. um, Is that
2: the Keanu Reeves movie?
0: Yeah. 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 Which I actually never saw.
2: Yeah, me neither. Did you?
0: Um, I've seen some of it No. because somebody that I love really likes it. So I've uh, walked through the room and... I told you I haven't seen. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. Um, you're the only one for me, David.
1: <laughs> but here's what I do want to talk about while you're here. I want to, talk, I want to ask you about Comic-Con because you were there. And you're then right. uh, I, I saw you very briefly, which apparently is fitting because you were only there very briefly.
2: I was there incredibly briefly. And
1: you said, I, I think a few days later I saw on Twitter, you said something about how you can only handle... CD of Comic-Con for about 36 hours.
2: I can't. I jumped in and jumped out. I, I was, yeah.
1: But is that literally like <laughs> after a day and a half you were like, I got to get out of here?
2: Yeah, it gets a little bit much. I mean, I really actually like walking through giant crowds of people because I think I'm, not to brag, I think I'm very good at walking through giant crowds of people. Oh. I really like, like like being a salmon and working my way through. I'm a bit of a jerk about it. You know, like right. I, I don't push. I just sort of run around people uh-huh. politely. Uh, but, yeah, that's about my limit. Then I just get tired.
1: So what did you do at Comic-Con this year?
2: I was, I, 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 I tipped a drunk. I don't know. I just went to a couple parties. Because what I love about Comic-Con is, you guys know, we're part of like this film community. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of us who don't live in L.A., so when they all – like when all the New Yorkers and everybody from Texas shows up yeah. in San Diego for a week, I just really want to go down for a couple hours and say yeah. hi to everybody.
1: But see, we don't do the – I mean, you talk about going – you're going to be in Toronto. You're going to be in yeah. Austin. You see these people other times. For me, it's literally Comic-Con. That's yeah. when I see these yeah. people. Uh, and, yeah, that's a huge part of it.
0: So yeah, it our, really our is. meetup is quickly turning into an opportunity to just see other podcasters. And, yeah, I guess listeners can be there, and it's nice to talk to them. But uh, <laughs> it's more like, hey, there's Kate, and there's Ryan, and all that. So
2: It's very it's cool. Nice. I mean, I think because of everybody always asks me what is the point of Twitter. And I feel like it's so you can show up in cities like this and feel like you have so many friends that yeah. you never get to see.
1: Yeah. You know what? I really like your positive attitude toward Comic-Con (laughs) because it mirrors my own. Positive and
2: limited. Yes. It was actually very useful this year as as me retraining myself that I don't always have to do everything the whole time. I can just show (laughs) up for the best part and leave, which I'm usually a, like, till the wheels fall off person.
1: Really? Like, Mm -hmm. if you go to a night of comedy at the comedy store, you stay through all 27 comics or whatever?
2: Usually because I'm like, it's all about the bad experience. You know, like, even if it's bad, it's an experience.
0: Oh, man. The comedy uh, store could be a pretty bad experience. Yeah. I, uh, I recognize what you're saying, <laughs> but I guess my attitude is, yeah, life's going to throw enough bad experiences at you without you just walking into them. <laughs> that, uh, in the same way, like, um, so I watch, uh, listeners know, I watch a lot of uh, Survivor and Amazing Race and that sort of thing, and there are people that will be on the show that are just human train wrecks. They're just insane. And it's ridiculous, and I hate watching them. they make me uncomfortable Are you but
1: talking then, about Joey the YouTube star from Amazing Race? Oh sure, there's an example and one of my least favorite characters but ever. even he characters. even he
0: compared to compared to uh, on Survivor there's a guy named Philip okay. who uh was a, a former federal agent. I know that because he said it every I don't know thirty seconds <laughs> um, and he was just crazy to the extent incidentally that a friend of mine who knows that I'm a fan of Survivor he said, hey, if I say the name Philip to you. Does that mean anything? And I said, uh, maybe. And he said, federal agent? And I said, yes, why? He says, I was standing in line for a movie at the Arrow, and this guy was in front of me, and apropos of nothing, started talking to me, introduced himself as Philip from Survivor, former federal agent. And I was wow. like, okay, so he's apparently just like that all the time. But anyway, uh, so he came back on the show, and I did not want him to be back on the show. And then I talked to a friend of the show, uh, Paul Goebel, and he goes, oh, but don't you just like the... Isn't he just great television? I was like, no. No, I guess technically he is, but I just I don't want to watch this. It's so uncomfortable. I just want him to be voted off so I don't have to deal with him anymore. Thankfully, that happened. Do you watch any of these reality competition shows? Amy?
2: No, no, I don't. Maybe for that reason.
0: It can be. It, it's, it's a little rough at times, but other, it, it can also be great at other times. So. Since,
1: now, since you're apparently all in on these, these kinds of shows. Did well, you, it's just the two. I okay, the so two. I'm saying that, yeah. did you, are you watching The Quest? Uh, no. It looks uh, ridiculous. Our, our friend... Have you heard uh, of the Quest, Amy? No. It's, I'm so
2: out of TV. I feel like a newborn baby. I never understand anything that's happening on TV.
1: It's The Quest is essentially the producers of Amazing Race said, uh, our, show was, our show is flagging in popularity. You know what's popular? is the Game of Thrones. Yeah. Can we make a version of our show that's like Game of Thrones? Yeah. So it's essentially... I haven't watched them, but it's essentially LARP, LARPers, live action role players.
0: Yeah. But every week they get voted out. Yeah, our our friend uh, Rob Sesternino, he covers it for his show, and so I I would like to listen to one of his recaps to see if I would like it, because it is on Hulu Plus, and so I'm curious, because I'm always looking for stuff to just, sorry, not watch so much as have on while I'm working, and I don't want it to be like a real show, so something like this quest thing sounds pretty good for me, if it's (laughs) in fact good.
2: I mean, if there's fake Vikings, that's awesome. Well, certainly
1: there's fake trolls. There's like... Okay, I'm out. There are
2: people who LARP as a troll? <laughs> no,
1: I think the the LARPers or whatever are all like the heroes or whatever. But then they have <laughs> actors. Like, I guess in the first episode, one of the guys gets, like, picked up and carried off into the woods <laughs> by a troll. So they have an actor dressed. I didn't see this. I'm back in. Paul Goble was telling me about it. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so, yeah, you're going to watch. Oh, you going cross that bridge.
2: I should probably tell my mom that because my mom, you know, dresses as a hobbit.
1: Like, regularly?
2: Well, she, uh, she has a character. Her character is Eleanor, which is uh, Sam's daughter at the very end of, okay. uh, of The uh, The Lord of the Rings.
0: I feel like I, you uh, might have buried the leap. She has a character. This? What do you mean?
2: Well, Eleanor is mentioned in passing. Like, he comes back as a kid. The kid's name is Eleanor. And that my mother has chosen that that's who she is. So, my mother's part of... You know, she's on, like, the one ring net. She's, like, on it all oh, the okay. time. She has a lot of friends from there. Okay. It's one of her big but things. But where does she go
1: to... Like, is she part of a guild? Does she go to she, Renfairs?
2: Um Yeah, they do, like, trivia nights in San Antonio. Okay. She usually wins... Um, According to her, she only loses when it gets too much about war because my mom's like a hardcore pacifist. So Mm -hmm. I think she skims a little bit over all the battle scenes. But yeah, she's like super into it. I mean, I but the thing about my mother is you guys can see me in person. People who can't see me like I'm blonde and relatively tall. My mother is even blonder than I am. She's like Uh a white blonde, turquoise eyed kind of person. She's
0: more of like a. Galadriel,
2: exactly. And right? when I told her, I was like, why are you a hobbit? You have the coloring to be an elf. And yeah. she's like, oh, you know, I'm not tall enough. She's 5'6". And I just get on her case about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this. Uh, um. Yeah, but she's not short enough to be a hobbit. That's if she's done exactly. by that.
2: Exactly. I, I think she's going She a, could just
0: be a human. There right? are humans in that world.
2: I feel like she has some, I don't know, body dysmorphia.
0: Boy, oh, boy. Is she going to listen to this? No. Uh, that's too bad because I've got.
2: Or maybe, I don't know. Say. I think she stalks me on the internet, but I'm not totally sure. She oh, just doesn't talk about that's it. That's nice. I want
1: to go to this trivia night. If I'm in San Antonio, I'm going to email you and I'm going to say, give me the details for this trivia night.
2: You totally should, Do but you you'll dress probably lose. You can.
1: I might. David, what would you, <laughs> what would you dress up as? Um, probably something from Buffy. Buffy. Probably go with Spike from Buffy, but is it but like it's the Lord of the Rings? What are you talking yeah. about? Oh, I thought this was, was just in general, like what character? Uh, no, is no, no, Lord of the Rings specific. In the world of specific. Lord of the Rings, my mother does not, not know
2: that. much about the world besides Lord of the Rings. <laughs> but, okay, this so is like which the, sum of the total, total of her. her. Yeah,
1: well, uh, the um, Evangeline Lilly. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: <laughs> not what I expected. Who's not
1: in the books? Right. That's I was trying to pick someone who's not in the books.
0: Okay, I thought you were picking a way of saying that you won't show up because she's incredibly boring.
1: Uh. No, I know what she meant, but I think she's. I'm currently. Uh, this is podcast is becoming all about television. I'm currently rewatching season one of Lost, okay, and loving it. But having seen the new Hobbit movie and now watching season one of Lost, she has come a long way, Evangeline Lilly. She's oh, learned a lot about screen presence and absolutely. performance, like having one. Yeah, because she's, uh, yeah, she's not that great. Did I you watch f- Lost, Amy?
2: No, no. Do I, you
1: watch any TV? What are there any TV shows currently airing right now that you watch every week?
2: Not at all. Like television, really scares me because I the time commitment just makes me nervous. And it's something like Lost. Like what amazes me, I was just thinking this while you were saying that you're going back and rewatching Lost is knowing that Lost ends badly means I'm so glad I never watched an episode. Well, so according even to some, no, according to yeah. some.
1: I like the I like Okay, because I was going to
2: say knowing that it ends badly if that's what you believed, I couldn't even imagine going back and watching it from the but beginning.
1: But I would go back and rewatch Battlestar Galactica, which is a show that I do believe ends uh-huh. badly. I don't like the ending. And I should say about Lost to cl- to clear things up. I like the last episode of Lost. I don't love the last season. Yeah. So. Just to be clear about that. I know you don't care, but there are listeners who probably <laughs> wanted to know. And even this, um, even the
0: last season has episodes that are great. Sure, yeah. But it also, I don't know. I don't want to get into yeah, yeah. the particulars. because no. the spoilers. Yeah, we, and we've got a lot to cover in this episode we already. Do.
1: But I want to tell you one thing that just occurred to me about television. Um, that it's surprising that you don't watch television. Because since you started writing for LA Weekly, there, there have been... More te- there's been more television in the film section. There was a Pete Holmes write-up, there was a Birthday Boys thing, which I started watching oh, yeah. because of that, and... Oh,
2: really? I love the Birthday Boys. I only know them because of their live shows, but okay. I've seen yeah. some of their episodes because seen... they're great people.
1: Um, and, you're not going to believe me, but I am still watching Gang Related every week.
2: Because really? you
1: wrote up specifically the Korean actor, I can't remember his name. Uh, yeah, um... From the Fast and the Furious. Uh, I just
2: forgot, yeah, but okay. yes.
1: But he's on the show, Gang Related, which... Uh, is i'm sorry it's not very good The show
2: i only saw the first two episodes i'm still watching so it every week yeah
1: i started watching it because of your write-up
2: oh no and i should be more careful
1: <laughs> i still know i know this but here's the thing and this is something words matter amy
2: i just wanted to talk to han about karaoke bars in k-town i just that's all i really wanted to do uh
1: but this is something i feel like has come up when you're on the podcast before um i love los angeles it's uh, i'm a, i'm nuts about it and the fact that it's all this location photography is enough to bring me back every week to this pretty, pretty dim-witted show.
2: Oh, I'm sorry, it's not better.
1: <laughs> uh, I, you know, Cliff Curtis is amazing as the bad guy. Um,
2: he has such a great face, and yeah. he he can play anything. It's weird. He's yeah, one of he's those actors he's that... play,
1: often plays Hispanic gangsters, yeah. but uh, is Maori, right? From, Maori, yeah. Yeah.
2: I think I saw a supercut once of every ethnicity Cliff Curtis has ever played. Slate ran it, and it's fascinating. They go, it's like ten.
0: Uh, he's yeah. like
1: uh, an Anthony Quinn, John Turturro, Ben Kingsley in that
0: mm. category yeah. of yeah. So okay. and so Whale Rider is the only time he's actually played his actual nationality. Wasn't
1: he in? Was he in Boy? Or was he involved in that? Uh, I'd be
2: surprised if they made a film with Maori people and didn't cast him in it. And <laughs> yeah. is he? No, he's not in. There's that Mayori vampire movie that's coming out eventually, but I don't oh, think you've done that.
0: I don't know about that. Sounds one. neat.
2: Or it's well, it's like there's some Mayori actors in it, but it's uh it's really good. It's by the people who did Oh wow, I'm terrible because this is a TV show. Uh the uh, Concords Concords, of the Concords. Oh, uh, sure, okay. sure. Yeah.
1: Excuse me. Um well let's uh let's get into it, shall we? Mm-hmm. The listeners might have noticed. Hold on, I do a little bit here.
2: Amy. Sure, that Amy um, doesn't know a lot about TV, so she must prepare <laughs> for something else.
1: <laughs> no, the listeners might have noticed by looking down at their uh, MP3 player or, or, or whatever they're using to mm-hmm. listen to their streaming on their phone or their iPad or... Straight from the website, apparently, traveling. a bunch yeah, of them. a lot of people listen straight from the website. You may have noticed the number uh, of this episode. This episodes have brief titles, um, but we uh, signify them mostly by number. Mm-hmm. And the number of this episode is 390. And longtime listeners will know any episode in which the number in the title ends with either a zero or a five, and yet is not divisible by fifty, is a profile episode. It's a, it's a thing. That's to do. Did, you, did you not see about. me tap my ear just now? No, I don't know what that means. Tweaked. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I'll get into tweaked. Okay. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I saw you tap your ear, and I was like, that's weird. Earbuds. <laughs> This is for earbuds. Um, yeah, but you will also sometimes do a thing where you click the
0: Super Mario Brothers theme with your teeth, and so I just ignore. I don't do that anymore because I got. Uh, I had to have a replacement tooth, and I, I put a lot of money into that tooth, and I don't want to crack it. By <laughs> do you
1: think you had I, to replace it because
2: is it of the tooth that looks like a gold brick with a question mark?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am a Riddler fan. Um, um, uh, anyway, so I just thought it was one of your weird things that you did. Yeah, uh, tweakedaudio.com, dot com for those who don't know is uh sorry i feel like i mumbled that tweaked audio.com t-w-e-a-k-e-d audio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors and those uh, that variety is varied and those styles are stylish and those colors are colorful and you, uh already that's at a low low price but if you go to tweaked com slash pretension you get all that for one-third off and no shipping charges. One-third
0: off. One-third off, no shipping charges, tweakedaudio.com slash pretension. You'd have to be a big moron to not do this. What are you, some kind of moron?
1: Okay. I feel like that's good. Uh, now, back to what I was saying, uh, 0, 550, you know, the number, it's a it's a profile episode. And uh, we're very lucky to have Amy here um, because Amy uh, has recently published a, a, a tome, Right? Uh, I'm trying to think of other synonyms for book. Um, a uh, Libra? <laughs> there you go. Uh, about the the work and career of one Tom Cruise. So we are going to talk about that. Yes, not any Tom other
2: Cruise. Tom Cruise, but the one. Just the one. <laughs> <There are laughs> yeah.
1: It's like the one ring. There are probably other Tom Cruises.
2: His dad was a Tom Cruise. Oh, how about that? There you go. He's Is actually it? Thomas Cruise Muppother IV. So there I'm were sorry, what was that? Thomas Cruz Mapother the 4th. Is that how you uh, say Mapother? That's right. Oh, I'm yes. guessing. I'm not sure. Really I always thought sure. it was Mapother. Possibly.
1: Whenever I said well we were talking about Lost and William Mpother. Is it Mapother? That's I the don't know. he says it
2: his, his uh, cousin?
1: I don't yeah I, I don't know how he says it but whenever he would show he would play Ethan on yeah. Lost and I would always in my head think it was Mapother. Maybe yeah. it's
2: I've never Mpother. heard it pronounced that but I'm pretty sure the fourth part is pronounced fourth.
1: Okay, <laughs> as <long> as, <laughs> so you have three of the four parts. Yeah,
2: I'm um, definitely right.
1: There is, by the way, there's a band called Cruise.
2: I've heard of that, um, yeah.
1: It's not bad. It, it, I guess it's kind of electronic well, music.
2: Ah, uh, that, yeah.
1: It's okay. The kids uh, like it. <laughs> exactly, it's the stuff the kids like. Um, so we're not going to do uh, this chronologically, like we usually do. We're just going to talk about uh, Tom Cruise in general. Uh, so I want to start by asking you why why Tom Cruise. Yeah, that's... Uh, sure. That's, that's at the front of my brain.
2: Yeah, well the weird answer is I didn't pick it. Uh mm. what happened is I wrote a somewhat mixed review of Jack Reacher back when it came out mixed because I really love the Jack Reacher series and mm. I was super emotionally attached to the idea that if this ever got turned into a movie it should star Michael Shannon.
1: My memory to sorry to interrupt you so quickly of you cuz you were on the podcast, maybe even the first time you were on the podcast, first or second time on this podcast, was right after Jack Reacher really? came out. And yeah. you and I both, I thought, liked it a lot.
2: I liked it, but what I, I liked the movie, but I kind of just said some stuff about Tom Cruise in the middle. Like, the thing is, Tom Cruise doesn't have to really act. He just shows up and he's Tom Cruise. He's a star. He's not a performer, blah, blah, blah. And so I wrote this stuff kind of, I think, dismissing him. Mm-hmm. Uh, complimenting him as a movie star but dismissing him as a talent mm. and then a couple months or a couple weeks later I got an email out of the blue from the French who had read that review I think because Karina <laughs> Longworth who had read uh, <laughs> was, it, was it
1: Sarkozy? Which, <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, Kaira Cinema yeah oh, okay. um, they're the snobbery people who came up with the word auteur, auteur R- theory oh. yeah and um
1: oh, i think people who listen to this show i, I imagine they know
2: that oh just good because i feel like i have to say that all the time and then people are like what's a tier theory?" and i'm like all right well, never mind they're the french yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh yeah Karina longworth had written two books for them in the series she wrote the al pacino book which is great because it ends with a chapter on jack and jill the adam sandler film and really owns it because mm. it's about al pacino playing a character named al pacino it's a masterful book. Mm-hmm. And her newer one is on uh, Meryl Streep, which is also just amazing. It talks about her as like a feminist actress under the scenes of her performances. It's a really great reading. Anyways, I will I could lather about her forever because I love her books. But um, she pointed them to my review. And so out of the blue, I got this email from them being like, do you want to write a book about Tom Cruise? And you have to say yes, of course. Like, Is uh-huh. the answer no? Like, No. The answer will never be no. But I thought I would be writing a book that was kind of like my review. Like, how does somebody... Who isn't the greatest actor, wield his power to become a global huge action or huge star. Like I thought I would be doing a book about branding. Mm -hmm. And then I you know, so I pitched him a book about branding. You know, that was really the theme of it, like self-branding, like the guy who did it first, really, I feel like in our modern era. And then I set about researching the book and realized I'm an idiot and that the book was completely wrong. And I take back everything I said about him in my Jack Reacher review and that he's actually the opposite. I think he's one of the greatest actors we have whose talent has always been dwarfed by the fact that he's a movie star. And Mm -hmm. we've never really seen him for what he brings to the screen. Every time we think we do, we forget. We're like, oh, yeah, Born on the Fourth of July was great. And then, again, we're just like, well, Tom Cruise, he's just the guy from Cocktail. And, and, And so it's a book really about that.
1: And I'm glad um I'm glad that I uh uncharacteristically didn't interrupt you and let you finish because <laughs> normally I interrupt um because as soon as you said branding I bristled because I feel like uh I feel like even even if you don't like Tom Cruise I don't think you can say that he chooses roles based on a brand like he seems to really want
0: to try and make the best movie he can every time he goes out. Exactly. There, there is an argument to be made though. And by the way, if there's anybody who branded their life it's Arnold Schwarzenegger but um, and I don't even say that facetiously like if you look at his entire life it's it, it's a tremendous success story but it's also like okay I've done this and that's only going to take me so far now i got to do this next thing anyway that's neither here nor there um, it is interesting that That'd there are episode def- 410 what was that episode 410 no question about it we'll yeah, have Arnold next, an Arnold Schwarzenegger whoever the French choose to write a book about Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> we'll have them on but um, but yeah and so uh there are definite phases to Tom Cruise's career, and they do seem to be a function of like a conscious choice that he has made, because I have to assume he's probably not handled much by his managers. I think he probably may- calls the shots. Uh, and so like clearly it's like, all right, I've, I have gotten my Oscar nominations. I have proved my cred by working with a P.T. Anderson and a, and a Stanley Kubrick all in the same year. It's action time. And just decided to do that. And then, of course, I think he does tremendous at that. But then once he's been doing that for a while, he seems to – this is all based just on my observation over the years. He seemed to think, okay, people kind of know what to expect. So I'm just going to put this makeup on in Tropic Thunder and do this crazy-ass performance and then go and do these other things and then go back to action. I want to remind people that I can do weird things and have fun. Uh, but then I'm going to go back to action and just so it's not branding, but I think there's a very there's a deliberate nature to the choices of his career. But it, it, you can speak more. Yeah, about do you think it's
1: down. that self conscious?
2: I would, but I would think all the motivations are actually completely different. I th- okay. Yeah, it, it's weird. I have to kind of confess that I didn't watch a lot of Tom Cruise movies before I started this book. <laughs> you know, I I think the Tom Cruise movies I had seen most in my life were, and this is embarrassing, but Legend. Uh-huh. And interview with a vampire. Oh wow! There's, yeah,
1: I don't like either one of those movies. Do you like those movies?
2: You know, Legend, I've rewatched that because that was my favorite movie when I was a kid. I think mm-hmm. I watched. I loved unicorns, and so I watched it nonstop when I was little.
1: It's. Uh, it's this is off topic already, but it's weird <laughs> that you th- like we think of kids as wanting stuff like SpongeBob SquarePants. It's like yeah. constant like barrage, but kids love Legend and Dark Crystal, which are painfully dull movies in my opinion. <laughs>
2: it's true and we like the darkness both of those movies are pretty bleak there's real gore in them there's a scene Mm -hmm. in legend that i'll just never forget you know where they pan over like a chest of somebody who's been like flayed right like whoa that just gave me nightmares when i was a kid i think interview with a vampire holds up in every time tom cruise is on the screen every time brad pitt is on the screen the movie's terrible but like (laughs) he is amazing and i have a whole theory about that actually what about
1: antonio banderas or is that your next? He book?
2: gives it a dolt of light, yeah. Okay. Like I, I'm, I haven't always been the biggest Antonio Banderas fan, but compared to Brad Pitt, like anybody's interesting in that movie. Which I, I ended up making the controversial choice, even though it's not the best film, to give Interview with a Vampire a whole chapter in my book because the way that the book is structured actually is you pick um, ten signature roles of Tom Cruise's and you structure it like that. So it's really not a biography, which I like because I feel right. mm-hmm. like. The Tom Cruise biography, the salacious like his wives and his religion thing, has been done so much that this book. What was so fun about writing it is that you're just forgetting all of that. I think I made a dare with myself at the beginning to see, well, what if I didn't talk about Scientology at all?
0: Uh-huh. And then
2: I realized if I didn't talk about it at all, I was leaving myself open for people being like, "This book is stupid." She never mentioned Scientology, so I was like, "Okay, I'll mention it once." <laughs> but, but I feel like In we which know role that did stuff.
1: Did you mention? Uh,
2: I mentioned it in War of the Worlds Hmm. because there's a bit where he took some heat after uh, Mm 9-11 for... For like starting a campaign to where the Scientology church helped cleanse toxins from firefighters' uh, bodies who were there at uh, Ground Zero. Mm -hmm. And then it was also an opening and a sidebar to talk about how every time he does a sci-fi film, people use that as an opening to be like, wait, wait, wait. But do you believe in aliens because of Scientology? And how that's the weird trick of him trying to – every time he – like kind of the way that you see happen with Will Smith and his recent stuff too. People are always parsing what they do to look for evidences of their religion. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've seen lots of people talk about Oblivion as though he, behind the scenes, was like, let's make a subliminally pro-Scientology movie, which it takes so many people to make a movie that that seems impossible.
1: Yeah. I, but, I, don't, yeah. Uh, I liked Oblivion. I don't know enough about Scientology to know where, yeah. the, where the message is. Um, did you like Oblivion?
2: Way? Not really, but I love that redheaded actress uh, that he has scenes with whose name I'm totally forgetting. Um, she's British. She's great. Andrea Riseborough. Okay. I think she's a real talent. And honestly, that there's one scene in Oblivion where I think if they had gone with this, I would have loved the movie. It's where Tom Cruise fights Tom Cruise. Uh-huh. Like I don't know why there was only one Tom Cruise fights Tom Cruise scene. That's amazing. <laughs> uh,
1: where were we though? Um well, okay, so
0: what are, let's what are the 10 chapters in the book? Yeah, maybe, we can, maybe we can structure this conversation like that a little bit. We wanted it to be unstructured, but well, there will be tangents and stuff, but like <laughs> what roles and how did you arrive at those? And was it hard to narrow down, or did it yeah. become clear like these are obviously the ten I'm going to talk about?
2: There were definitely a few I thought I'd have on that I took off. Mm-hmm. So, all right, I can. I think I can finally do this in order. All right, Risky Business, Top Gun, Born on the Fourth of July, Interview with a Vampire, Jerry Maguire, Eyes Wide Shut, Magnolia, War of the Worlds, Tropic Thunder, and Mission Impossible, Mission. Impossible Four as a way of talking about all the Mission Impossible's. Okay,
1: okay. So okay. not Jack, not Jack Reacher, which was not how Jack you Reacher. got into it in the first place.
2: Nah, I, yeah, not Jack Reacher. You Ready?
1: felt like you said everything you needed to say in your review of Jack Reacher. <laughs> there isn't no more ground to cover.
2: <gasps> yeah, I felt like ending it on Mission Impossible Four. You get that arc from Tom Cruise and risky business as like a stiff, on purpose, like teenage actor trying to prove he can. Mm -hmm. act act to a guy being like okay you guys are never going to pay attention to my acting i'm going to do crazy stunts and you'll applaud that
0: there is a i know that the movie rain man is not really beloved these days but he is very good in it like there is a i mean and of course dustin hoffman got he got the oscar he got all the accolades but like tom cruise kind of care he's the emotional center of that film i think he's great
2: i think you're 100 percent right like uh, Dustin Hoffman, when you rewatch Rain Man, we remember his moments, but he doesn't even appear in the film for 20 minutes. Like, this yeah. is Tom Cruise's movie. Mm-hmm. And just trying to picture watching Rain Man without Tom Cruise in it, being like, Dustin Hoffman, you're being annoying. There's no <laughs> way Dustin Hoffman would have won an Oscar for it.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, and of course, uh, David and I often talk about, not so much anymore, but uh, early on in the podcast, we used to talk about like what makes a lead versus a supporting. And Dustin Hoffman, by not to be mean to the type of character that he's playing but that character will never be the lead like he doesn't have arcs so like tom cruise is the lead of that film he changes it's a totally organic change i buy every emotional beat that he's selling and uh and i feel like that and that sort of encompasses a type of role that he played maybe early on in like color of money and that kind of thing which is sort of the brash hothead who thinks he's got everything figured out Uh, who gets not comeuppance, but just grows as a person and realizes that there's more to what he thought uh, to life than what he thought there was.
2: It's true. I feel like those two films, Color of Money and Rain Man, were really pivotal for me in my research because it was looking at where he was in his life when he did those films. Because, you know, we're all I think I'm a little bit older than you, but I'm still just young enough that this whole period I'm like in elementary school so i wasn't that aware of like what rainman meant in his arc then so it was like kind of going back and revisiting the 80s for me and really tracing back his steps and to think about tom cruise he's 24 years old he's just done top gun which out of nowhere is the biggest film of the year mm-hmm. he is getting every offer in the world to do films exactly like top gun mm-hmm. he has this choice where he can say yes i want to be a huge action hero star and make all the money in the world because people are offering him their souls basically to like do a top gun too and he says no and he takes second billing the selfless thing to paul newman in color of money so he can say he worked with scorsese and then paul newman gets the oscar and he doesn't get nominated and he's like okay i'll take second billing to dustin hoffman for rain man and so not only does rain man get made which is a really weird thing you think about like hey let's make a Semi-expensive film about it, and a guy with autism and his brother going on a road trip.
0: And so. that uh, and that original script, I don't know if you've ever read it, it's terrible.
2: Yeah. So <laughs> not it's, all... Yeah.
0: And apparently Dustin Hoffman contributed a lot to the what the script is now. And people don't even love the movie that much now. But compared to what it could have been, good God.
2: Well, it's crazy. I mean, because not only does Tom Cruise saying yes to that film, not only is that him giving up on a huge payday, it's him g- making that film get a stronger budget, and it's him using his star clout to turn Rainman into the biggest film of that year. Like, mm. box office-wise, that was the number one film of the year, which is crazy. Can you imagine a world today where <laughs> Rainman is the biggest hit of the year? But that's who Tom Cruise was. Yeah. And he became that by saying no to doing Top Gun 2, which is yeah. incredible that a guy who was 24, 25, 26 had the prescience to do that. And it was when I started looking at those choices in his life that – I realized this wasn't just a guy who wanted to be famous. This was a guy who wanted to be taken seriously.
1: Mm-hmm. Did he, at the time, get credit for that? The way that a Leonardo DiCaprio or Johnny Depp would later get credit for that?
2: Not really. That's it's, kind of upsetting. It's pretty upsetting. <laughs> I, I think Top Gun. You know, to go back in time and think about what Top Gun was to people in 1986. This is all the movie critics of that age were of an era where they had grown up hating the Vietnam War. And Top Gun is really the first film that says, you know what, the military is okay in a decade. Mm-hmm. So this film comes out and it makes the military look cool and they just hated it. And then it becomes a success and so they hated that. And uh-huh. you know, and then they see Tom Cruise and they think they accuse Tom Cruise in the press of, you know, making people making kids join the military, which he did. There was actually a boost in uh, navy recruitment rates after Top Gun came out, a pretty big one. And so they yeah they just thought of his planes and and shininess and they weren't going to take him seriously for a while. I think he had to do. I think what's interesting is the movie that made people really take him seriously. Then had to be born on the fourth of July and anti-war. Thing. Yeah, like he's yeah, saying, very much the guys, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, I don't think war's cool.
0: Yeah, um, it's. Uh, I've been watching a lot of uh, old Siskel and Ebert episodes, and uh, and it's interesting. It's it's always fascinating when it, when a movie or an actor or a filmmaker or whatever when they arrive on the scene and then you watch. Critics' response at the time—it's hard to believe that there was a time when, for example, like *Goodfellas* or *Pulp Fiction* or *Fargo*, um, kind of game changers. I mean, people already knew Sc- Scorsese was great, of course, but like, there was a time when those didn't exist, and there was a time when w- when people just when critics would just go see it like they saw all the other movies, and then all of a sudden, like, it changes the way they see they they see movies, and so why? So I I watched them kind of talk about. Color of Money and then Rain Man and saying like, oh, this guy, Tom Cruise, he's he's pretty good. But it w- again, it wasn't until Born on the Fourth of July that they said, he deserves best actor. Uh, this is an amazing performance. And I understand because of the nature of the performance that it will get more press. But that's the thing is, I, I've i been a defender of Tom Cruise for a long time, even in movies like Color of Money and and... Rainman, and I'm not a big fan of Top Gun in general, uh, not because of the military thing, but because I just find it t- tremendously uh, uninteresting uh, for reasons I can't even put my finger on. Uh, uh,
2: I'll change your mind. It's okay. I have no doubt about <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, no, you know I'm, more about it than I do. I'm glad you brought up Ebert because actually I went through and, you know, you reread everybody's old reviews, mm-hmm. which I think is great for us as critics to be like, hey, people can be wrong or people can be mm-hmm. dismissive. And almost everybody dismissed Tom Cruise, but Roger Ebert was the first critic who got him right from Risky Business on, which mm-hmm. was striking. He said that actually, in Risky Business, almost every review barely even mentioned Tom Cruise because yeah, the real star of that film was the director, who was this young talent, and everybody's like, "This director's going places." Yeah. And the director was great, but he only actually made one other film. Like it was Tom Cruise who ended up being a success, which nobody would have guessed, but. So instead of just ignoring the fact that Tom Cruise was even in the movie and treating him like a prop, Roger Ebert was the first person who said, you know, this kid, Tom Cruise, says a whole world by what he says, by what he doesn't say. He picked Mm -hmm. up on what Tom Cruise was doing, which is being an incredibly passive actor and not being like this loud, noisy 80s teen. And when I read that, I was like, wow, that's a pressure on me to notice the next Tom Cruise like Roger Ebert did because nobody else did. And he nailed it. And
0: it's, it's interesting, uh, to the extent that even there's a, in the Siskel and Ebert review of A Few Good Men, neither, neither of them really liked the movie. But both of them say, like, in spite of the movie not being very good, which a lot of people really like the film, I think it's pretty good. But um, they're like, even though the movie's not that good, boy, that Tom Cruise, like, they just, <laughs> they, they always singled him out.
2: Yeah, I think that became one of my maxims during the book, is there may be mediocre Tom Cruise films, but there are no mediocre Tom Cruise performances.
1: Um, how do you, it's, you mentioned us uh, as, as critics and I, am flattered that you would <laughs> consider us, uh, anything like what you do, but, um, I, I've talked on the show before about how I, uh, when I write, uh, reviews of movies, I particularly, just me particularly, I have a hard time writing about performance. It's something that it, I just have a hard time putting into words how I feel about a performance. I can write much more about plenty of other aspects. And so, with that difficulty going in, uh, Tom Cruise in particular, there's something something especially ineffable, I think, about what he does on screen. How do you describe his performance style?
2: You know, the first thing I noticed about Tom Cruise is his eye contact. Hmm. Like, when you watch Top Gun again, which I hope you will, I think the whole secret to getting what's happening in that film is his eye contact. Like, he has a way of being completely motionless and saying volumes, which is, you know, I think a really rare gift. Like, he can look stoic and you read stuff into it. It reminds me of this thing that one of my old film teachers told me about. There's this uh, Greta Garbo film, Queen Christina, and it ends with this, like, enigmatic shot of her standing on a boat looking off. And you read all this stuff into it, like, what is she thinking about the future of her country and everything? And um, my teacher was like, oh, yeah, you know what the director told her before the cameras rolled? He said... Stare that way and think of nothing. You know, and so I, I always love that. But in Tom Cruise, you see all this stuff he's trying to channel. You know, in Top Gun, there's towards the second half of the film, he barely even talks. He just stares a lot. And instead of being boring, he's actually doing something. And also, I would you notice in a Tom Cruise performance, he has a ridiculous control over his body. You, yeah. He was an athlete. That was his first thing he wanted to go to college on a wrestling scholarship because he came from a really poor family he had three sisters. His dad left the family when he was like 12 and his mom ended up being a middle class guy but for a long time like he had to start delivering papers when he was in you know seventh grade to help support the family, which is why I think him' turning on Top Gun 2 was like crazy you know it's mm-hmm. amazing because yeah. he came from nothing. but so he his plan was wrestling scholarship. He was a great wrestler and he hurt his uh, leg. When he was a senior, and that's how he ended up in a school play. It's one of those kind of stories where mm-hmm. you're like, if not for that leg, this whole thing yeah. would be different. But you watch the way he carries himself. We'd all be talking himself.
0: about Tom Cruise, the wrestler.
2: Exactly. He, I <laughs> would would, like, exactly. I don't know what his name would be like. This would be a
0: wrestling Flashy
2: Jackson. I don't know what his name Yeah. But,
0: the French would still want this book. Don't get me wrong.
2: <laughs> but you start to watch his spine and his arms and his legs and the way he like will stumble. I mean, he's famous for the way he runs. And you mm-hmm. realize that his body is just an instrument in a way that I think few people are.
0: I'll I'll, uh, reference uh, the most recent film I've seen him in, which is Edge of Tomorrow, which is a movie that I love and I love him in. Uh, And that idea of of conveying a lot with almost nothing, but you get it. You get everything. Uh, But just a total tight control on his face, just every little little thing telegraphs without overplaying it. And uh, the scene I'm thinking of is when he first goes to see Brendan Gleeson And is being told something he doesn't like Mm. and something that's going to entail like major, a major sacrifice on his part. And that's not what he came here for. And so you just see him like you just see him. You see the gears moving in his head. You see a slight smile because that's the resting state for the character because he's a publicity guy uh, or a a PR guy. And so just to see him just quietly listening but you know, in his head, he's just screaming and thinking, how do I get out of this? All while smiling. Yeah. Is is astounding to me.
2: It's astounding, the layers in that. And I feel like in Edge of Tomorrow, what makes that film really connect and hurt at a gut level isn't just the times when he dies. It's how every time he wakes up, he seems, he seems in pain and startled and like, oh, mm. my God. There's this weird two-second agony that happens over and over again in the film when he wakes up on that pile and realizes he has to die again. And like that, that's what sells it for me. Yeah. And of course he moves like a, like a Looney Tune. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. Oh, and that, and his, his capacity for comedy in that film especially is astounding. Like the moment when he, during (laughs) training, during training where he breaks his back and he says, "I can't feel anything except my lips." And then he just does this little lip thing. It's <laughs> hilarious. Um, listeners, again, if you haven't seen the film, go and watch it. It's it deserved to do better than it did.
2: It did. It shouldn't have been so expensive. Yeah. Then it would look like a better hit.
0: Yeah, uh,
1: but well, I want to say I, 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 I'm going to keep bringing it back to Jack Reacher because I like that movie so much. <laughs> uh, but um, speaking of the physical thing, as much as I, I'm a big Christopher McQuarrie fan, and I love I love the dialogue in Jack Reacher, but so many parts of that movie could be a silent film. I think because, uh, because of what he's doing, you know, the, I think of the fight with him and, uh, is it Jay Courtney? Jay yeah. Courtney? I don't know how you say that guy's name. Yeah. Uh, at the end, um, I don't remember if they talked to each other or not during that. That's not important.
2: God, they might even me. not have. I'm trying to think myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: but, uh, it, the, there's a, that fight scene is not just checking off. Okay. He has to fight this bad guy before he goes on to, Werner herzog it's a little story in itself and he tells it both those two actors together tell it with their with their bodies um uh, something else i was going to say based on oh yes about uh, edge of tomorrow about role choice uh, and I, I feel like a lot of the conversation is going to come back to role choice because he does keep uh he does seem to keep picking roles that you ne- wouldn't necessarily expect and i think with his uh, I guess late career interest in science fiction with Edge of Tomorrow and Oblivion, and I guess going back to my early Report before that. Um, yeah, he's picking these big. You mentioned it being expensive. He's picking these big genre uh, blockbuster action movies, but he's not picking the the surefire like name recognition franchise type things. He seems to be, he, he, he seems to be responding to something. Or do you think he's re- it's do, do you think he's picking Oblivion or Edge of Tomorrow because? Because he's responding to something in that story, or is he specific? Is he intentionally not picking the the the, the franchise movie? He's not going to show up in a Marvel movie, or or, or what? Oh, do you think?
2: Yeah, I think you you sense in him when you go back through his career. Like the first half of his career, I feel like breaks down into Tom Cruise, the young guy, wanting to work with the absolute best directors who are out there, even if it was their worst film, like Ridley Scott and Legend. He's like, I got to do this. <laughs> and then
0: that can be his you mean, yeah yeah worst at the time <laughs>
2: okay worst at the time <laughs> okay are you is this a Prometheus thing I, yeah, that's oh, fine oof, that's, I, a, I
0: never that's saw, a bad one I never saw a good year but I would venture to say that is not a good film <laughs> it doesn't have a good reputation <laughs> indeed
2: fair enough and then somewhere around the point when he says yes to like Magnolia and P.T. Anderson right when he crosses off Kubrick you know the biggest lion on the list you see him thinking who is the next generation and how do I invest in them and I have heard this story time and again, because when you start doing a book on Tom Cruise, people just come out of the woodwork, and they're like, oh, man. You know, I heard this story about how so-and-so did this film that did Great at Sundance, and he called them up and said, think of me. If you, if you come up with a good script and I could be in it, think of me. Mm-hmm. And he would just offer that. That's how he got in Magnolia.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: He sees uh, Boogie Nights while he's in London working on Eyes Wide Shut, and he tracks down Paul Thomas Anderson. He's like, you know, keep me in mind. Come have a coffee. I've, I've heard variations of that story time and again, and I think he thought, hey, this Joseph Kaczynski kid, maybe he has something. I think Joseph Kaczynski doesn't, but I think he <laughs> wanted to give it a shot, you know?
1: Man, Tom, I, Tom Cruise sounds like
0: the movie star I would like to be. Like, if I were <laughs> a movie star, I would like to think that I would be able to do that. Although it does seem, don't get me wrong, I feel like there's a tremendous humility in what he's doing. Um, and I, I, he feels like a very humble actor to me. Uh, but there is something to, like, hey, think of me. I feel like the person maybe has no choice, but to th- I think he's all they're thinking of at this point. I mean, like, oh, sure. Maybe I'll work you in. If anything, maybe I'll start with the Don- Tom Cruise part and work my way out. Uh, I feel like it probably I think once you plant that seed, it sprouts pretty quick.
2: Yeah, exactly. And it's I mean, this late period of sci fi films, I'm a little frustrated with it because I feel like he's in this pursuit of the big box office blockbuster number. You know, and that's never quite been his game. But
1: he's still doing it, uh, like, uh, I mean, you yeah. mentioned, like, yeah, early in his career he was going for these established names. But now he's worked three times by my count, if not more, with Christopher McQuarrie, yeah, who gonna... is not, like, you, I think there are examples, and I won't name any names because I can't remember all the names, of there are a... A-list stars who have their writers that they like maybe because they know how to control them or they know how to... Yeah. Not, but Christian Macquarie is an idiosyncratic voice mm-hmm. that Tom Cruise seems to respond to and want to work with over and over again. So I think I think that's selling... I think what you just said is kind of selling him short. He's not just going for some sort of blockbuster because he's still doing it with, with a Christian McQuarrie movie.
2: It's true, although I have some in the back of my head, and this is no diss on Christian McQuarrie, McQuarrie I wonder if part of the reason why he's been working with him so much is it seems to be like a symptom of his post-2005 meltdown where he's like, okay, 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 maybe the world hates me and I just want to work with people I trust. Mm-hmm. And I uh-huh. kind of want to see him push himself with somebody new. Not the customer is is but it's nothing against him. I just think Tom Cruise does really well when he works with somebody that maybe scares him a little.
1: But and I, 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 maybe, maybe I'm just defending because I'm such a Christian, Re- Christian yeah. Require fan that he's doing this. Christian Require is doing these genre things that, that you're expecting. This is the box that, he, that he's checking. But I think his sense of humor works with because I think we, you talk about how people don't give Tom Cruise credit for being funny. I think the same can be said of Christian Require. He doesn't write comedies and therefore people don't necessarily respond to how much comedy there is in the movies
0: that he writes. Boy, and, I wish he went by the name Chris. that's too many damn syllables
1: Mm. Um, but uh, I I don't know if if that's a pet theory that I'm working on just because I like Christian McQuarrie so much and I want it to be true
0: man I hope the French are listening
2: (laughs) (laughs) well no I think we can both be right on this I think you can see that they work well together and I don't disagree I just want to see him I I keep saying over and over again my dream is just for him to say to the Coen brothers or Tarantino whatever Mm -hmm. you want just do it. Like, somebody who's um, who's of his level, you know, in a way, in the directing world, and let them shape him. You know? Nobody, because nobody, at this point, I think he can push a Kaczynski around without even wanting to push them around. Like you said, like, build it around him. I want to mm-hmm. see somebody who's, like, who pushes him in a way that He's not expecting.
1: I hadn't thought of Quentin Tarantino, but that would be. Wouldn't that be amazing? I, I, I mentioned Leonardo DiCaprio before. <laughs> That's how we got the best, in my opinion, Leonardo DiCaprio performance of all time. Yeah, pretty, is him working great. with Tarantino.
0: Well, and also, um this doesn't mean as much as it used to. But I always thought that Tom Cruise would be good, and uh, I'd like to see him do Mamet. I feel like okay. him doing David Mamet would be pretty amazing. Like, I could
2: see that the dialogue really working
0: out. Yeah. Like, can you imagine if—I if, know he's not much of his—not really a stage actor, uh, but like if they did a Glengarry Glen Ross, he could play Aroma remarkably well. And Aroma? That, a Ricky Roma, pardon okay. me. Uh, but he can play Aroma. You can just see it on the screen. <laughs> it's just, com- it just coming off. Uh, but also in American Buffalo, he would be, be a great teach. But you look at—or look at any part that Alec Baldwin has played— in a David Mamet film, and he could play he could play that and characters like that, and I think he would do wonderful. Uh, which which speaks to something else. There are some actors who cannot play certain types of dialogue. Tom Cruise, to my knowledge, has played and can play every kind of dialogue I've uh, that I've heard. But
1: do you think there are things because you mentioned like you said you want him to do these things? Do you think there are limitations he places on himself? Are there things that he doesn't want to do? that you wish he would?
2: I think I would have said about his career 10 years ago, no. And I think today I would say he's... He. I think he has this perception that he needs to crawl back into the audience's favor because everybody, I think, is still believing that he ruined his career a little bit or at least dented it, which I think is not true. But I think he thinks it's true, and I find that okay. frustrating because I, you don't sense in his career choices anymore the personal strength and the personal, like, this is what I want to do for myself, choices of the guy who decided to do Rain Man and Color of Money. I feel like he's playing it just a little too safe. And, and I, it's, it's, he's not the actor I think he should be.
0: I think there is an argument to be made for him being kind of out of favor with people, because when you think about it, the biggest moneymakers of his of the last 10 years are Mission Impossible films like anytime he goes back to what people know and what people feel safe in that's when he makes his money when he gets away from that does Night and Day does Oblivion the movies do well but they don't they're not they don't do Mission Impossible well
2: it's true but the one thing all of those movies have in common is they're sort of popcorn movies Mm -hmm. like imagine him doing a Magnolia oh yeah like that's what, that's, I think he needs to do something like that because I think we're forgetting that he can act. I think he's been so determined to prove that he can sell tickets mm-hmm. with, you know, varying degrees of success and frustration that we're forgetting the core of him, which is that he's really talented.
0: Yeah. Uh, so let's, uh, obviously we, we don't have time to go through all 10 performances that you talk about, but one thing that always fascinates me is his decision to do Tropic Thunder. Um I have a problem with it, not on his part. He's doing great work. I just don't think he should have been cast because, in the end, a character, a character that is by himself funny, we are now being distracted by who's playing him rather than the character himself, and that always bothered me.
2: But did you know who he was when you first saw the movie? Because I didn't.
0: Yes, I did. I, knew I immediately. did not. Yeah. But I didn't know he was in it going into the film. But then immediately I was like, "Oh, that's Tom Cruise. Hey, that's interesting." And then that's all I knew the whole time.
1: But that's, you have a talent, like.
0: You can always tell whose voice it is in the car commercial, which that's, I never know. That is true, but but yeah. What
2: we're saying is you're exceptional.
0: Well, I you know when you it comes to this, <laughs> you should go to this trivia night in San Antonio. <laughs> I'll just I'll dress as Gimli because I don't want anybody to know who I am. But um, but yeah, uh, and that's and you know what? Maybe there maybe it's that is. I mean, he is under a lot of makeup. He does not. He certainly doesn't look like himself. To the extent that they even clearly put something on his hands.
2: Yeah, that was the first thing he asked Ben Stiller for. He was like, "I want this part, but I want to have big hands."
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's a wonderful performance, like completely uh, committed. Uh, it's just one of those things that it distracted me because now I'm la- I'm still laughing, but now I'm laughing at Tom Cruise dressed up like this, saying this, rather than the character is saying this. But, that, that
1: but, might that just, but this gets back to your yours? initial yeah.
0: thing in the Jack Reacher review that
1: that that he's always that, that you can never forget that you're yeah. watching Tom Cruise. No matter
2: how hard he's trying. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying because I think I have the same problem in Rock of Ages. Because okay. that is so clearly Tom Cruise and he is mm-hmm. so clearly miscast. But he is also so good in it, even though the rest of the movie is bad. I hear he's yeah. Yeah, so it, it's that weird push-pull. You're, you're always like aware of the fact that he's Evil Knievel pulling off a stunt. Mm-hmm. That you didn't think he could, because maybe that's the, maybe that's what we're parsing here is that performance-wise he disappears in a role. It's just what we have in our head. Yeah. We can't let him disappear, even though he if if he you showed that movie to somebody from Swaziland who'd never seen him before, they'd be like, great performer, no idea who that was.
0: Yeah, that's that's true, and it's I will say maybe the, maybe the issue is the makeup. If he was giving the exact same performance, but he looked like Tom Cruise and he was just uh, an executive. Uh, I think I'd have no problem with it, but it's something like well, if you wanted somebody to look like that, just cast someone that looks like that but because now I have a hard time I feel bad, I don't like to think this way, but I have a hard time removing the things that I need to that I feel yeah. like the the filmmaker's asking me to remove
2: yeah and by the way, fun fact okay. he was actually supposed to have the Matthew McConaughey part as Ben Stiller's agent, hmm. and it was his idea to write in a studio boss for himself well, it wasn't he uh he was recently with feuded uh, with Sumner Redstone. Redstone. Yeah. yeah, So the whole thing is kind of a middle finger, I would yeah. I would say. He's never said it, but I would say.
0: You know, a movie, okay, you were talking earlier about a mediocre film, or just straight-up terrible film, that he's great in. Uh, David and I, many years ago, went and saw Lions for Lambs. Yeah, I,
1: would, I was just looking up, <laughs> what have we forgotten to talk about?
0: Yeah. And Lions for Lambs
1: is not a very good movie. Yeah, Mary oh, Streep's good in it, too. Yeah, as is yeah. Kevin Dunn. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but he's great in that. Well, sorry, I interrupted you.
0: Yeah, it just, uh, you know, when he's playing, he doesn't, Tom Cruise doesn't play villains very often, does he?
2: He does, actually. That's one of the weird misconceptions. He started off his career playing a villain in Taps, where he, like, machine guns a whole campus of army people. That's right. Yeah, like, he almost didn't get cast in Risky Business because of that. Because the director was like, he's a psychopath. I don't want him in my movie as a virgin.
1: Hmm.
2: Hmm. And then he was in The Outsiders, and he played, like, this rough and tumble guy. Like, it's weird. He's supposedly the villain in... You interview with a vampire, and even in the movies where we don't think of him as the villain, he's kind of the antagonist like Color of Money, Man Again, Cocktail, even. He like knocks up a girl and then like dumps her for a rich lady. I mean, it's great. He, it's weird. I'm surprised you guys haven't gotten on my case yet, so I don't know why I'm throwing myself (laughs) in the fire. But everybody tends to get mad at me that I didn't include collateral because of that reason. They're like, it's him playing a villain, and I'm like, well, he's done that, and I don't like that movie. And I don't know why. I know that's on me because everybody else likes
1: collateral. I also don't like that movie very oh my much. God, I don't hate. I don't hate it. Um, I like
0: it a lot, and
2: I think it's a good <laughs> Los Angeles movie too. By the way, I like uh, it for the Los Angeles parts, but Jesus, that movie drives me nuts.
1: Yeah, I uh, yeah, I, I. But you can't put your finger on why.
2: It feels. I don't know. Maybe too stiff. I just. I like. I, it was one of the movies I assumed I would include it actually, and then rewatching it, thinking like, all right, yeah, Collateral. Let me make sure I'm doing this. And within half an hour, I was like, no.
1: no I think. No. I uh I think the main reason I don't like it is I I feel I think it's Michael Mann going through the Michael Mann motions and uh, I don't think he feels I don't feel like he's particularly compelled to make the movie. I feel like if it weren't for the two <coughs> lead performances it would be even more it would be completely forgettable because I think it's uh, yeah I feel, I guess it's Michael Mann on autopilot I guess. I feel it's like, kind of
0: a lazy way to say it but I think it's uh, Michael Mann in transition. You put together Public Enemies and The Insider, you get collateral.
2: Right. It's, what do you really, hate Public Enemies? Which, uh, I,
0: uh, which I, I,
2: don't, I don't hate it. There are
1: things but, I well, like about it a lot. Listeners know that I yeah. absolutely love Public Enemies, right. where it made my top ten movies of that year and caused me to redefine how I think about movies. Wow. No. Yeah, and I've talked about this before. But, Any uh,
2: movie with Marianne Cotillard automatically gets a letter grade off for me because I can't stand her.
0: Really? Really. Yeah. I don't know. Hang on, let me think. You know um, what? Her her performance in uh, Inception is one of the things I like about it. What? And it's not a movie I like that much.
1: Weird. there's any things I liked about Inception.
0: Um, Maybe I just like the way our character's written. Did we have more to say about Collateral? Oh, uh... Or about well, him being sorry, a villain? Uh, or Alliance for Lambs? And I would say uh, Taps. Okay, yes. Taps, I'll, I'll give you. But, like, all these other characters, they're just assholes. They're not antagonists that are, like, actually... Because they're our main character. The main character can still be a villain, but... They're not an antagonist. Collateral's an antagonist, and I think Lions for Lambs is definitely an antagonist as well. And so, um, and, it's, and maybe it's Ooh, worth noting that. He's definitely
2: the antagonist in the other ones I mentioned, too. i got to say that. I mean, him dying is supposed to be a happy moment in an Interview with a Vampire, which is so tragic when you watch it.
0: Oh, yes, that's, that's right. But, is, but he's not the worst one, right? Antonio Banderas is the worst one. Uh, I haven't seen the film in a while,
2: uh,
0: <laughs> but like yeah, between him and and, and I, Brad yeah. Pitt, yes. The yes. movie
2: feels like it gives up at the end, and it's like Brad Pitt's so lame. Fine, Tom Cruise gets the happy ending by like coming back to life, but up until that part, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's
0: that's true. Um, but yeah, and so I feel like uh, I feel like Lions for Lambs. He's so effective a a villain or an antagonist because he does what i think a lot of villains need to do which is they're committed to what especially when it's an ideolo- uh, ideological villain which is he's committed to what he believes and he's trying to do this thing no matter what and that's why when you watch it i have a hard time even viewing him as a villain and viewing him more as just a guy with a point of view that i don't necessarily agree with it's but th- true. that comes to him being that type of actor,
2: and I'll even make the opposite argument, which is that we—the stereotype is that Tom Cruise plays heroes, mm-hmm. and I think even his heroes are actually bad people or flawed. Mm-hmm. In Top Gun, the entire time he's just accused of being an unsafe, dangerous flyer, and then it's proven true. He doesn't like if we define a hero as the guy who actually does a good thing, does right. You know, he's never really been that guy. I, yeah, I think because
1: well, oh, sorry, I didn't know yeah.
2: You... Oh, I was just gonna say, I think the closest he's ever even come to that is. Mission Impossible, and that's like 15 years into his career We he actually starts playing a hero. Because even when he's the good guy, he's a mess. He's violent in Days of Thunder. He's, you know, I guess he's kind of a hero in Far and Away, but that's a little bit weird. In Cocktail, he's a total creep, like just a capitalistic jerk. It's Well, we it's haven't weird. talked about
1: one of my personal favorite, uh, if not for a long time, up until Jack Reacher, apparently, which is apparently not my favorite. Yeah, but uh, probably my favorite um, Tom Cruise role is Jerry Maguire. Uh, which is one of the ones in your book we haven't even talked about it yet. Yeah. Um, But that's one where he is essentially a bad person, acts like a hero for a second, causes collateral damage to the life of Renee Zelliger, and then has to, I mean, her character. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Murders her off the set.
0: I haven't seen her in a while. Um,
1: And then has to uh, reckon with that for the rest of the movie and doesn't always do a good job living up to his one moment of, of goodness, and there's a there's a lot about Jerry McGuire that is um, not very redeemable. That you kind of have to see him through Renee Zauger's eyes uh, again. Her character, I just forget her name. <laughs> you have to um, take her eyes out of her right. head
2: and then hold them up to your eyes.
1: Jeez. No. <laughs> um, oh, uh, Anyway, what what do you say about Jerry Maguire in your book?
2: Yeah, I think you're I think you're really hitting on something cuz when Jerry Maguire came out, everybody was like, "Wow, it's the inverse of the Tom Cruise role. He's like the hero who's not the hero." And you're like, "Well, actually, that's who he's been the whole time. This mm-hmm. is like actually the ultimate Tom Cruise role. The guy who is just everything's kicked up another level." Yeah. What I like about Tom Cruise in that movie or what I like about the movie in general is it it feels like an 80s movie in that it's right where the 80s movie would end with him being like, "I get it." I'm a good person now. Mm -hmm. And that's the opening credits. And then all of a sudden you watch it dissolve. And it's strange. Like, I find that movie incredibly depressing. Because even the end, like the big you complete me speech, Uh I think if you read into that speech, he's not a good person again. We already know he's a person who can make a big emotional speech, think he's changing his life, and take it back in an hour. You know? And Uh I, I find that movie, I find it cynical in a way that I respect. I don't think it has a happy ending.
1: Um, I I would like to rewatch it with that in mind because I have always felt like um the real happy couple in that movie is Cuba Gooding Junior. and uh, I forget it's been so oh, his long wife now.
2: Marcy. Uh, I can't
1: remember who played it. It's a oh, I'm actress, forgetting, but she is. is
2: so phenomenal. Is
1: it, uh, is it Regina King or am oh, I it's, Regina King. That's, yeah, that's it's Regina right King. Not, yeah, it's Regina King. No, you it, right. it, it is. King. It
2: is. Okay, she's so amazing in that role, and so yeah. is Cuba Gooding Junior.
1: Uh, and I feel like maybe they're supposed to be the the model, mm-hmm. and we're supposed to at the end of the movie, if not necessarily, think, okay, that's the relationship that they're going to have. Like, no, okay, at least they have this model to work toward.
2: Yeah, there's that awkward dinner scene between the four of them, where like <laughs> Regina King and Cuba Gooding Jr. are just all over each other, uh-huh. and uh, Tom Cruise like awkwardly kisses Renee Zellweger's hand, and they're just aware that they'll never measure up to that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I really want to rewatch this movie. Yeah.
2: yeah, what I love about that movie too is you know. There's some scenes in it that I think don't work at all. Like I think to me, my my least favorite second of Tom Cruise acting is actually in Jerry Maguire. It's where he's leaving his office for the, you know after he gets fired, and he goes, "What you guys think? I'm gonna like freak out." And he does yeah. this weird like Nicolas Cage full body contortion mm-hmm. thing, and you're like, "That's not, that's not Tom Cruise, and that's not Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire would never lose control like that, and it's, it doesn't work uh, for me. I
1: think it does work in that moment."
2: I don't know. It seems too. Because that's when he
0: really is losing control. But well, does also, anybody
2: lose control like that besides Jim Carrey?
0: But is <laughs> but is he losing control or is the character himself making a choice to show like, well, this is how people flip out. This is what people look like when they yeah. flip out. So I will illustrate that with my behavior, and you see yeah. people respond like, well, this is not a thing he does. And, and also, so,
1: he's making another big pitch. That's what gets Renee Zellweger to leave with him. Yeah. So maybe that's performative on. Jeremy
0: Maguire's part <gasps> eh, as well as Tom Cruise's.
1: <laughs> or maybe
0: I'm just being an apologist. Don't get me wrong, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. I feel the same way about the uh the fake orgasm scene and when Harry met Sally. It's like that's a really good scene if you take it out of the film and yeah. just see it, it on its own. This character that's, would never, ever do this. It's no, been a while the movie. Right. That's that's not Tom Cruise, right? oh I'm sorry yeah no I'm sorry
2: (laughs) no but you're exactly right Meg Ryan's character in the movie is so uptight up until then and then you're supposed to be like no she'd make a scene in a restaurant that almost no other woman would ever do
0: yeah and the type of scene I mean come on so let me okay let me throw this out there how long have we been going oh good just
1: an hour well I want to mention because I feel like we're on a good segue right now to talk about another movie we haven't mentioned yet which is Vanilla Sky a movie Mm -hmm. that I have always really liked and have always defended against people who don't like it I don't know how do you feel about Vanilla Sky
2: That was another one I thought for sure was going to get a chapter, and then I realized I only wanted to do one Cameron Crowe film, Mm -hmm. Uh and between that and Jerry, it was really tough. I think I went back and forth on that longer than anybody else because Vanilla Sky is so weird, and I don't know how much I think that film works. But what a strange thing for him to want to do, yeah. You know, and I respect the weirdness of that film. Uh, He spends so much of the film in a mask, yeah, yeah. which is well, also him and that and Eyes Wide Shut. It's like a weird. He had that weird little four-year stretch of being like, put me in a mask. Why? Stop it. You're Tom Cruise. We love you. Maybe because of people like you, Tyler, who can't like separate him when they see him on screen from his performance. Yeah,
0: probably. (laughs) But that's the thing, is one could make the argument that he, I mean, even when he plays, for example, a World War II German, he tends not to employ remarkably different mannerisms or ways of speaking and so and that's fine I like that I like it, again he's an actor and a movie star and movie stars tend not to go too far in any in any direction not to like he has a wide emotional range um but he's not who were we talking about earlier he's not uh John Turturro or anything okay. where he can play any nationality or anything like that <laughs> oh uh, um, Clifton, and so can't wait who are we talking about no, Cliff Curtis, Curtis. That's okay. Curtis yeah and so um and so, yeah, uh, it is one of those things that, like, I there are to- there have been times when I've when I've like really gotten mad at myself and condemned myself the way you just did uh, for <laughs> I feel my, bad
2: <laughs> about what you've done
0: for that. But then I come to realize that, like, you know, not unlike uh, I, can't, I won't bring up all this other stuff, but like, uh, I'm okay with that because clearly he's okay with that. He's okay, like like you said. People think, well, he's just always Tom Cruise. Now I don't like that. I don't like when people say that. They say it about Nicholson, they say it about a number of people. It's like, no, he's a different character. He may employ the same mannerisms, but did you believe what he was saying? If that's the case, then he's a different character. And so he's employing the same mannerisms and that sort of thing. Uh, But when, when you layer on too much, even in a movie as heightened as Tropic Thunder, when you layer on too much, I feel like sometimes you're asking me to... Accept something that is that for some reason I can't accept. I have a hard time accepting Heath Ledger in the in the Dark Knight. Really, for reasons I can't. Uh, Part partially because do you of his, always uh, do
2: podcasts with this guy? Is he, <laughs> is he off his meds tonight? What's going on?
0: Partially because of his uh, vocal choices. Really, Str- strange as that may sound.
2: I like his but the, vocal choices.
0: But then I put then I put that down to as opposed to Jack Nicholson as the Joker, who's just a who's just a ver- not a Are version Not Are you on a planet
2: where you're trying to say you like Jack Nicholson's Joker better than Heath Ledger?
0: He's on a podcast where he says
1: that every three episodes or so. <laughs> that's oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's go back to talking about Hangover Part 3. Anyway. Uh, oh, yeah. I will defend the yeah. Hangover movies, and then you'll be uh, asking him why he does podcasts. podcast. Uh, guys,
0: I, 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 this I re- has been great, but I got to go. <laughs> uh, I respect both. I think I respond to Nicholson's more because it feels like that character is just more pure instinct. Where at? And just... A regular person with the morality taken out and the restraint taken out, whereas Heath Ledger's Joker is a guy with everything, with stuff put on. So I guess it just depends on your definition of the Joker.
2: So that's
0: <laughs> that's me. So anyway, I don't have I'm gonna, to say gonna about, have
2: another sip uh, of this beer that your audience can't see.
0: <laughs> uh, how on earth did we? I,
1: about I have that? no idea how we got to the Joker. Um, <laughs> uh, Tropic Thunder or something
0: about oh Matt oh that's right you guys were talking about masks and and uh, Vanilla Sky yeah we're
1: talking about Vanilla Sky which yes. we barely talked about although I don't actually know what to say about it except that I guess that's pre uh, quote unquote couch couch jumping meltdown which I know he didn't actually ever jump on a couch, couch. <laughs> I've never seen the clip
2: nobody did that's why I wanted to talk about it
1: <laughs> well yeah let's talk about that and then we'll get back to Vanilla Sky he jumped up on a chair okay what did he do.
2: He jumped up on a couch and immediately jumped off. Mm-hmm. He stood on it for about a second. But he did not bounce up and down on the couch. Right. And not that, like, standing on a couch is markedly different or better than jumping on a couch. But in my head, I have spent nine years assuming he jumped on a couch. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, curious to, be, to figure out why have I always had this idea of something in my head that I could picture. Him jumping on a couch. I could picture that. And that didn't happen. And then I realized talking to people, everybody had that same picture, that he got up on the couch, jumped up and down on it a lot, and then mm-hmm. got off. And I got so curious about this idea of, like, cultural false memory.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
2: And how on earth does that happen?
0: It's like when it's like when people say that Sarah Palin said she can see Russia from her house. Yeah. Well, Tina Fey said that as Sarah Palin. <laughs> uh, but people just assume that she said it. Not that I'm much of a Sarah Palin defender, but, like... Fact, on this no, thing, no, oh, absolutely, <laughs> I'm I'm in lockstep with her uh, every other step of the way, but uh, but yeah, no, I uh, absolutely, and it is it is weird. I mean, that was nine years ago now, yeah. But people still
2: that's still who he is for some reason,
0: yeah. And that's very, I don't know, that's, yeah.
2: What's it's it's unfortunate, that, I think. It's true. Like, what's weird is I was writing about him in 2005 and him going on Oprah's couch. And what 2005 meant in terms of, you know, viral video and internet and the web, you know, Mm -hmm. because I I knew I wanted to talk about for that for the LA Weekly cover story. And I figured I'd just be talking about the internet. And I I swear to God, it wasn't until four days before I turned in the piece that I watched the video again for the second time from the beginning and realized he didn't jump. And I had been thinking about nothing else but this for three weeks. And Mm -hmm. I was like, what on earth? It, that, to me that's just like in a microcosm what writing this book was like is you mm-hmm. just have an image in your head and all of a sudden you realize you're a moron and you want to figure out why you're a moron and that's what keeps that's what keeps everything interesting to me is realizing that i have a preconceived notion and i'm an idiot and how did i get that and how do i undo it
0: i have a, i have uh two questions uh, one about just the process of writing the book uh and then one about uh tom cruise specifically but so, obviously, writing the book got you to see Tom Cruise in a different way. Did it get you to pr- approach acting in a different way?
2: It really did. It got me to be more sensitive about it. Because I think, as a critic, I'm more inclined, like you were talking about earlier, David, to talk about what I definitely understand, which is script and story and plotting and and the look of a film. Because I feel like those are definites that you can really talk about. And I've noticed I have an inclination to my own weakness of... Uh, not to give away all my weaknesses. <laughs> of... Uh, Talking too much about what a film means for this month, you know, how does this film relate to this news cycle, which Mm -hmm. is nonsense because that film was being planned for years before it came out. But I'm interested in how a film speaks to today. And then doing this, you really realize the work an actor does. Because I feel like we're always trying to fight off some preconception every time we write a movie. Like, we think, like, this is the director saying this or this is the actor doing that. And none of that's ever really true. But I think... This book for me was a reminder to not overlook all the pieces in the machine when I start figuring out about what I do really like about a film, if that makes any sense.
0: Absolutely. And your answer actually provides a perfect transition to my second question.
2: Okay. Um, <laughs> that's great.
0: So years ago, uh, and I might still do it if I figure out how, uh, somebody suggested I make a little uh, video essay about um, my views of Edward Norton because he I am afraid to ask reviews
2: of Edward Norton at this point. Obs- he was
0: the best joker. His <laughs> his, his obsession with duality
2: oh. as
0: an actor. I mean, it's he's pr- he almost has auteur tendencies as an actor. Look at it. It's insane. <laughs> I am, I, like
2: I, I am, yeah.
0: Like not merely primal fear, but he's giving two different performances in American History X. He was in Fight Club. Of course, it was only a matter of time before he played the Hulk. It's just, and and I think there's even one or two others. It's just, oh, uh, the score. He'll give two perform. Mm-hmm. He gives two performances in the score, and it's just uh, astounding to me that he is just drawn to that. So ever since then, I started thinking about actors as auteurs because, of course, they choose the roles that, that they want. Um, and looking at at so many of the parts that Tom Cruise has played. Uh, the art and, and this idea of talking about him as sometimes playing a villain, but he's still the main character. How does that work? Well, often he doesn't end as the villain. He grows, and he becomes sort of the good guy. I mean, that Color of Money, uh, Rain Man, and just a number of the uh, Jerry Maguire, Few Good Men, um, and I feel like I wonder if whether he knows it or not, that's almost how, that's almost like his career, not his career in Microcosm, that is how he wants people to view his career like, people see him just as they do every other movie star—is like brash and arrogant and all of these things, but if you look over the course of the film you see something actually redeemable about it which seems to be, as, as you've said this idea of like, well you don't you're not going to take me seriously anyway so I'm going to go and do this thing and maybe you'll appreciate me in this way and so, um, like, the idea of looking at the—not f- the, the, not the artifice, but seeing the, people seeing the surface first, judging based on that, but then going deeper and seeing what's actually there. Um, so that's—I uh, guess that's less a question, is more just uh, something that I was thinking about.
2: No, I think you're hitting on a weird idea, which I think is true, that Tom Cruise is somehow both the biggest movie star in the world of the last three decades— Mm -hmm. And also an underdog. Yeah. These two things fit together in a way that doesn't make sense, but it's the truth.
0: And why, why does, like, why do people not, why do people give Brad Pitt and George Clooney and any of these other people the benefit of the doubt? But for some reason, Tom Cruise, his entire, is it because of when he became famous or how, like, because he became famous as a young, as a young guy? Is it that? I don't know.
2: I don't know. I mean, I have this, a
0: theory.
1: Yeah. That it has to do with uh, public persona. That okay. That um, Brad Pitt and George Clooney seems like guys that maybe you couldn't be friends with because they're too cool for you, but they seem like guys you'd want to hang out with. Whereas Tom Cruise, even uh, I can't remember if you were at Comic Con last year, we're right at the Edge of Tomorrow panel. Did Not we, at the
2: panel, but yeah. Okay,
1: so he was Tom Cruise on the panel was it was one of the best panels I've ever seen. I remember was, being
2: mad because I was I just finished this book and I didn't mm-hmm. know he was going to be there and I was like, and, oh well, man
1: he clearly went out there he was like i'm gonna like i understand this audience i'm gonna give them what they want he was like he pulled bill paxton up and made him do lines from weird science like he was clearly just really playing to the crowd and it was a blast but it was also you know kind of obvious what he was doing that this there was a performative aspect to it and i I think um people again give brad pitt and george clooney um They
2: pretend that they're authentic or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or that they would want to, like, they're like the Rat Pack. I want to go hang out with those guys. Whereas you don't really have an idea of what Tom Cruise is actually like in his social life. And you don't feel like you would want to hang out with him.
2: I can totally see that. I mean, what was weird is, like, you go back and you read old interviews with Tom Cruise. And in the first ones from the 80s, like that first decade... There's just you know tiny little things aside like yeah said Tom Cruise taking a sip of his beer and you're like Tom Cruise drinks beer and it was so <laughs> weird I kept being like I just never thought he drank beer I just never thought he drank it, and I forgot he was a human it was weird seeing that like Tom Cruise even even not even drinking but eating like there's a, his, one of his first main interviews there's a detour where he all of a sudden he's like 23 and he's like I want ice cream and they just start, like, they run into, they run by an ice cream shop that's just locked the door, and he puts a 20 on the window, and he's, like, begging the guy silently to come and, and serve them ice cream. And, like, him having an appetite, a sweet tooth, like, all these weird things that you would think, of course, he's a human being he has. It was weird to realize that I don't think of him as having them.
0: Yeah. As it turns out, they're just like us.
2: <laughs> yeah. but What's weird is, like, in the course of this book, I found myself getting mad at actors who weren't him, like, who get who I think get more respect, Daniel Day Lewis is one of them because I feel like if he had not won the Oscar for My Left Foot the year that Tom Cruise was also up for uh, Born on the Fourth of July, I think it would have reframed Cruise's career differently. Mm -hmm. And it's annoying that it's like two roles of men who are, you know, paralyzed, but Daniel Day Lewis just went a step further and you're like, God damn it, Daniel Day Lewis, like whatever. (laughs) Um, And then Brad Pitt, I found myself, you know, I've never disliked him before, but I found myself getting so annoyed at him because there's moments where. You realize that he just didn't try the way that Tom Cruise did, and yet he has somehow lucked into having more critical respect. You know, in Interview with the Vampire, which you've been hearing me bitch about mm-hmm. like so far this whole podcast, Brad Pitt openly has said in interviews that he started to read the book and then threw it in the trash. And Tom Cruise read the whole book and then read every single other book Anne Rice ever read about Lestat. And when you watch that movie, you see it because he gets Lestat and he gets that his character is full and rich and complicated and likable. And Brad Pitt just thinks that because, you know, Interview with the Vampire is told through Louis's point of view, Brad Pitt's character, and Louie's a depressive whiner. Brad Pitt doesn't even understand that Lestat's a great character. He just thinks that, that he's playing against the villain. And that's why Tom Cruise walks away with the film. And it makes Brad Pitt look silly because he's just sitting there sulking, expecting the audience to be on his side. And I loved watching that. It, it, but, it, but then it's weird because I know I should be nicer to Brad Pitt. It's not his fault, but, yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm okay with people not being nice to Brad
2: Pitt. Uh, <laughs> I, like, I'll be honest. I found an old, old movie that was Brad Pitt's acting debut recently.
1: Uh-huh. Um, Where did you find it?
2: Uh, my old professor in Oklahoma had a DVD copy because he is an uncredited writer on it. It's called The Dark Side of the Sun. Have you heard of this? No. Mm-hmm. There's probably a reason it has never been released in America because it's awful. Brad Pitt plays a guy who um, is a teenager who, if he gets into the sun, he'll die. So he walks around Eastern Europe in a full-body gimp suit, full-body gimp suit. I want you to really picture this: head to toe leather. You can't see anything. Riding a motorcycle, and he like falls in love with a girl. And, like decides that maybe he'll take off the suit. It is one of the worst films in the world. There's a part where he frolics in the lake with a do- with a dolphin, and like
0: is he still in the suit?
2: He took it off and then he gets sick. Um, Sorry, spoiler alert. It was worth it for that dolphin. Oh, my God. The dolphin actually swims up and punches him in the face. It's, like, actually an accident, but it's amazing. Um, I wrote a blog about this. I'll send it to you guys because it's ridiculous. And you think he made a dumb film and didn't know any better. It was actually the first time he even left America. He didn't have a passport before he went to shoot this film. Tom Cruise never made a film that dumb. Like, come on. (laughs) Give him some credit for being smarter.
0: It is interesting that, like, he just, I know that he had smaller parts in The Outsiders and that kind of thing, but he did just sort of, compared to other actors, he sort of just emerged fully formed. Just sprang out and said, Hello, world, I'm Tom Cruise. <laughs> I'm a big movie star, whether you want me to be or not. And as opposed to you, like, you look at, like, DiCaprio being in Critters 3, you look at uh, mm-hmm. George Clooney being in Return to Horror High and uh, Facts of Life and that sort of thing. Tom Cruise, it's like, oh, he was in The Outsiders, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> yeah. That's where he started. It's astounding to me.
2: The worst movie he ever did was at the very beginning of his career called Losing It, where he goes to Tijuana oh, yeah. to lose his virginity. He actually plays second billing to Jackie Earl Haley, oh. um, who I adore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that movie was so bad that Tom Cruise, he was like 21, 22 when it came out. He was immediately embarrassed of it. And he he actually said... That was a mistake I'll never do again. He didn't go to the premiere, he didn't do anything. His agents had pushed him into being a star in a film he thought was stupid. He's actually okay in it. It's just a dumb movie. No. And I what I love about that is you see from that point on that Tom Cruise's whole career is not about it's not just about what to say yes to. It's about saying no to everything he was offered. Yeah. And he I think he said no to all the right things.
1: He and he so, didn't say no to
0: all the right moves. Whoa. Yeah. Obviously, we can't keep going after that,
1: right? <laughs> no, but I, uh, do we have anything more to say about this guy other than I love it?
2: Uh, I think that's good. Okay. Uh, we <laughs> I, think it,
0: I think it shows a lack of vanity on his part because not only is he behind in mats, but he's also under heavy makeup that is designed to make him look not that's attractive.
2: Too. Also, hey, glimpse of young Michael Shannon. I'm oh, always happy with that. It's been a
0: while. Absolutely. Um, we didn't talk about Minority
1: Report. It's been forever since I've seen it, since it was, like, brand new. So I don't know what else to say about it.
2: Well, I, f- I feel like
0: we, one thing that we can talk about... You and I, David, often uh, quote Mission Impossible 3 as an example oh, of— Oh, I thought we meant we actually like, quote
1: the movie.
0: Oh, Like Jonathan no, Reese no. Myers is a particularly catchy <laughs> line at some point. That's probably not true. Um, <laughs> and if it is, he, so when is he ruins book, it. When is the book on Jonathan Reese meyers coming
2: out? 2055.
0: Okay. Oh, my. Um, after he's won all his Oscars. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But uh but yeah you and I often uh sorry I should have said cite we often cite uh Mission Impossible 3 as like the movie that obviously we knew Tom Cruise as a dependable actor in the midst of action before that but there's something about uh that movie that you and I both said yeah he's always going to do it like he's not he doesn't just turn it on for magnolia he doesn't right. just turn it on for jerry Maguire or eyes wide shut he's always this well i think it, a part of it made, is that the
1: movie like that mission impossible 3 jumps in with both feet with this scene that's so incredibly bracing yeah it's, very and it's not intense. an action scene and requires him to emote uh i don't know really deeply yeah from the first do you uh did you i'm assuming you've seen mission impossible 3
2: uh, yeah it's my second favorite mission Impossible.
1: After... well it might be
2: first it's it, it and it and one are very close in my head
1: I think I like it more than one. I n- I never saw Ghost Protocol.
2: It's, it's okay.
0: I really like it and I like him in it. There's a there's a moment where he uh he has to jump and land in a window yeah. and it doesn't go totally well and it's just like, "Oh jeez." This is like it's there's some really good action in there.
2: Yeah, and he does so much of that movie barefoot. It makes you think of how smart it was of Bruce Willis to spend Die Hard barefoot. There's something about those little tangible things where you're <laughs> like, "Oh, I know what that street feels like." Oh yeah. god.
0: And so uh, so I brought this up to bring up like Minority Report that just whether it be War of the Worlds or Minority Report or the Mission Impossible movies, you know, we talk about him as a movie star or a really great actor. He is also a legitimate action star who can always deliver the stunts and the excitement while also being completely committed to the character in the midst of it and I'm, I'm reminded of uh, when I was younger I was always mystified as to why Gene Hackman won Best Actor for The French Connection because it's just a chase movie He doesn't. he's not really required to, di- at the time I thought like well he's not required to do a lot of acting, he's just running around but within that you always buy that character 100% and that's how I feel about Tom Cruise as an action star and I feel like, and I just happened to, I wanted to bring that up because you mentioned Minority Report. Do
1: you have any thoughts on Minority Report? It's been a long time since I've seen it.
2: Not much. The reason I chose to do War of the Worlds over Minority Report is because I like the idea that not only is he not playing a hero in War of the Worlds, he's playing a guy who's actively telling his son, don't go help people. Mm-hmm. And right. there's something so about that. But doesn't so it bother you, in you that, that in that the
1: third act, he seems to switch on, like, he seems to flip the hero switch?
2: I think he only does it in the service of saving his daughter. There's something very selfish gene about it.
1: Maybe I'd have to rewatch it. But uh, I've always, uh, I always, I really like the first two-thirds of War of the Worlds, and I've always had a problem with the last I do I
0: like the, his character, that. Selfish gene.
2: Yeah. I, I like the ending <laughs> of it where he like saves the daughter, his son magically is alive, he's made it, and still his wife's like, Cool, I'm leaving you on the street, see you later, nobody cares. There's something so <laughs> bleak about that.
1: Yeah. Um, and we also didn't mention Days of Thunder, but I've never seen it. But I feel oh. like that's a touchstone for a lot of people. <laughs> of
2: yeah, that's age. been so weird for me going on because people are just like, Days of Thunder. And I'm like, that movie is really not good. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I never saw. Did you see it? Uh, no. Um,
1: okay. <laughs> well, then we don't need to talk about but, it. Maybe I should just make my All the Right Moves joke again and we can get out of
0: here.
2: <laughs> I will say that in the original All the Right Moves, you get a shot of his uh, pubic hair. And once he got clout, he re- demanded that they remove it.
0: His pubic hair? Oh. <laughs> like in life? Yeah, exactly. I'm not having – there's a mistake I'm never yeah. making again.
2: That's my all the right moves trivia fun fact.
1: <laughs> That's weird. It's, I mean, like, I feel like I don't need a movie to imagine what Tom Cruise's pubic hair looks like. I absolutely don't.
2: <laughs> you just think I, about it all the time. Constantly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think I want uh, – you know, I'll, I can't even commit to this. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, um, um – ah, <laughs> uh, Okay. Is that it? I did have a question okay. that I was I was thinking about uh, as far as uh, Days of Thunder. Uh, that movie features my favorite actor Robert Duvall,
1: mm-hmm. who
0: also showed up in Jack Reacher. David, you can pay attention if you want. Um, and uh, we're very catty towards each other this episode. Yeah, but I'm not planning on. Is it attention.
2: me, girls? Um, God. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, and it's interesting when I think of the kind of actor that Tom Cruise is. I'm reminded of Robert Duval. I do. Th- I think Robert Duval has maybe a bit more, a bit more range as far as like you know accents and all that kind of thing. But as far as just how he portrays uh, characters on screen, there is an effortlessness to it. And I find myself. Do you know uh, if Tom Cruise ever like cited any one particular actor as like a major influence on his style?
2: I do actually, okay. and it's one who I think will make a lot of sense when I say it. Um, Paul Newman.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely.
2: He wanted to be a Paul Newman. He wanted to be good looking, classical, and and talented. He mm-hmm. wanted to be the guy that. May, I think people underestimated Paul Newman for years, and then yeah. they realized he could act.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I see that a lot, especially from the from the movie star standpoint. Uh, but uh, but yeah, and so I I, fe- I I also wonder if Tom Cruise, because not only early in his career did he work with like big directors, but of course, as you mentioned. Big stars as well, including a Robert Duvall and Jack Nicholson uh, and that sort of thing. And so I I feel like he's a a savvy enough guy that just as he went along, he would just sort of be open enough to just pick up on things and just kind of not acquire things like some. So he's just kind of makeshift actor or something like that, because, of course, he was good pretty much from the start. But I feel like every film changes him a little bit, and, and he's able to add that to who he is, uh, whether it be the filmmaker or the genre or the other actors he's working with. And so, I don't know, I just wanted, I wanted to bring that up in regards to Robert Duvall because I, they seem very similar to me. But now that you mention Paul Newman, you're absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
2: and the one thing you hear from any director who's ever worked with him when they talk about it is that he's basically like the head of the class on any film set. He's the nerd who shows up early. He's the guy who stays late. He's mm-hmm. the one who... Helps other people with their lines. Like, he's the one who tries harder than anybody else, which is weird because you would think he wouldn't have to. Right. But I've never ever, in any director interview I've ever read, heard of anybody accusing him of phoning it in. Yeah. Or being a diva. That just doesn't happen. If anything, they're, like, trying to hold him back and be like, don't do all your own stunts. Like, stop it. Or, like, go home now. It's okay.
1: That's what I keep bringing up. That Edge of Tomorrow panel at Comic-Con last year. But uh, that's what Emily Emily Blunt essentially said. Like, yeah, I was wearing this 70-pound thing and trying to do these stunts, but I couldn't
0: complain because he never did and he was doing (laughs) twice as much. Um, Yeah, and which ultimately comes down to, I mean, we were talking about earlier, that people for some reason feel like they can't relate to Tom Cruise and that they wouldn't necessarily want to hang out with him. But when you hear more about him and you see just the type of roles that he takes – and all that sort of thing. I feel like I feel like if he, I feel like he could be re- here right now and not dominate the conversation. Yeah, um, <laughs> like he would be perfectly willing. He'd be just as interested in what we had to say as <laughs> as we'd be interested in what he had to
2: say. And he probably side with me on that. You're insane for what you just said about the Joker stuff.
0: That's well, all right. Go. Like <laughs> we all we all need to have our our uh, correct opinions <laughs> that other people don't agree with. But you'll get there. So we'll get
1: there. Um. In in closing, is there any one role, one movie you would tell people to either watch or rewatch with Tom Cruise in mind as a as a as a great actor?
2: Well, in my chapter that I did on Magnolia, which actually, if people want, they can read the whole thing in full right now. Grantland just read, ran my whole Magnolia chapter online. Hmm. Um, I'd say that there's two minutes in Magnolia that are his best acting ever, and that's the scene where he. Finally goes into the room into where his father is, the moment he's been putting off forever. And you watch him. You know, he starts in the very back of the frame. Mm-hmm. And he's furious and tense and tight. And you see, like, his knuckles are basically white. And he walks towards the front of the camera. And he's just mad and sniping and being so cruel to his dad, even though you can't tell if his dad can see him. And in two minutes, he just goes through, like, seven emotions. Yeah. And you watch them all on his face. And it's they, the camera never cuts and towards the end of it, right when he says, you know, you're not going to make me cry, he, like, tilts his head up to the screen, to this light, just in time where you see a tear, like, show up in his eye and then no. slowly run down. And then his face turns red and a vein bursts in his, yeah. in his forehead. And you think only a person who has every cell in his body under his command could pull that off. And do and, and you watch that and you're like, how did he not win the Oscar for that?
0: And when the moment comes and he finally just really loses it He, mm-hmm. le- I think he genuinely lets himself lose it yeah um, it's a pretty, and he becomes a nine year old kid
2: it's a pretty biographical role on- yeah. honestly I'm sure but, I mean Paul Thomas Anderson wrote it from knowing that that was a lot about what Tom Cruise's relationship with his dad was like
0: yeah well, I, and, but, and that was a good year for supporting actor but I think he did deserve to win
2: he did and if he did we wouldn't still be here being like guys he can act yeah. <laughs> come on I'm <laughs> serious <gasps>
0: well um,
1: let's not give away too much of what you can find at Grantlander in your book uh, thank you for being here um you at home you can find us at battleshipretention dot com. That's where this podcast is and all the other podcasts in the BP fleet uh and all the movie reviews that we write. Uh can't tell you what'll be up the week it's too far in the future yeah. to tell you what we have the week this comes out. But um, check out battleship or email us, David at battleship com or Tyler at battleship com. Follow me on Twitter at The Pretension and follow Tyler on Twitter at More Lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which is at morethanonelesson.com or a battleship No, it's not a battleship pretension. I always forget that. It should be. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, my other podcast is the weekly TV talk podcast called Hey, Watch This with Paul and David. You can find that at com, And uh, that's it. So, Amy, where can people find your book and where can people find your work on the Internet and in uh, the real world? IRL? Well,
2: yeah, I'm the chief film critic for the LA Weekly, so you can always find me at laweekly.com backslash film. Or I think there's a backslash with just my name on it, which is great and nice of them. uh, On Twitter at, at the Amy Nicholson. And my book i don't know where else to buy it but amazon because i don't go to bookstores i'm a horrible person but it's there on amazon <laughs> and it's called tom cruise anatomy of an actor
1: all right all right is, is it but it's in it's in some bookstores
2: i think so i i i i i've seen people who said somebody said they ordered it from a bookstore and got it that way oh okay um i've have i've never had to go buy it so i'm not quite <laughs> sure
1: how <laughs> many copies do you have
2: I'm supposed to get 10. They have sent me zero. So the only time I've seen the book is actually a friend of mine who bought it and got it already in the mail from Amazon. And she brought it to me to sign it. Which is, huh. She's my best friend. She's a big nerd. She was there the weekend that I finished the book in the desert where I'd hold myself up. And she went out and we bought a bottle of champagne and a steak. So that girl, I'm glad she was my first book autograph. Oh. That's Eva Anderson. Hi. Uh,
1: so I want to he- do another episode all about you in the desert with champagne and steak. <laughs> that sounds like a fun...
2: Adventure. When you're autographing
0: a book, like, I've never written a book. Uh, If the day comes and I do and somebody wants me to sign it, I'm going to feel so terrified that I'm going to screw up my signature. Like, in that moment, that I'm going to sign it so quickly that I'm like, ah, that's not actually my signature. Now, oh, well. There you go. I'm not going to do it again. (laughs) Did you practice?
2: No, I can barely read my handwriting anyways.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you and me both.
1: I mean... I've never read your handwriting.
2: It's bad. I mean, I can't read my handwriting. He's tried,
1: but he can't.
2: What we do shows up in type. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. This was a lot of fun.
1: Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks, Thank you for coming. This was a blast. Thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.